We all have times when we feel far from God. Some of us walked away, while others of us drifted without realizing it. How we got there doesn't matter. What matters is what we do next, because a step towards God is a step towards the home that you've been looking for. Well, good morning. I hope you're doing well. I hope your team won. Yeah, I saw a Georgia t-shirts. You know, that's, that's really not right to do that in church <laughs> on Sunday morning. I want to, <laughs> my heart is healing. I, I want to I welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, in the warehouse or the chapel or uh, maybe one of the hallways here at uh, Long Point, and uh, also in our off-site campuses. I want to welcome you today. And today, uh, many of you are aware that we started a church planting movement about 11 years ago. And um, today, there are seven brand new churches starting uh, in Independence, Missouri, Hattiesburg, Mississippi, Knoxville, Tennessee, Kennesaw, Georgia, Cocoa Beach, Florida, yeah, it's tough to be called there, but somebody was, Huntsville, Alabama, and Greensboro, North Carolina. Let's give them a hand this morning as they begin. Since, uh, since about 11 years ago, 12 years ago, uh, that's about 370 churches, and this week, uh, around a quarter of a million people will be worshiping in brand new art churches, and that's kind of a cool deal. That's a, that's a yay God kind of a thing. Let me ask you a question. Um, how many of you have ever been homesick? Okay, I mean, I'm, I'm talking gut wrenching. Oh, I've got, I've got to get home. This is bad. I didn't realize it would be like this. Anybody ever been there? Maybe you're there right now. Um, you know, my picture of that comes from my uh, my first few weeks in college. And that's probably not unusual. Uh, my college experience was this. Uh, many of you knew I grew up in Denver, Colorado. And my parents, uh, I graduated from high school, and my band uh, went on the road for about six weeks in, in Chicago the night that I graduated. And by the time I came home, uh, my parents had moved. Anybody ever had your parents move on you? We'd lived for 13 years in the same place, and it wasn't like, oh, they were planning to move before, you know, I left. It, it was like, no, they decided to move, and I came home, and somebody else is living in our house, okay? My parents moved to Joplin, Missouri, and so um, after uh, the band got off the road, we went to Joplin, Missouri, and it sure didn't feel like home. I, I don't mean to insult anybody from Joplin, but it just was not home to me. I was miserable, absolutely miserable. And so I, ma I made a last-minute decision to go to a college in Texas, in Waxahachie, Texas. One of the reasons I went there is my wife-to-be, Debbie, had already enlisted or enrolled, and I knew that she would get an MRS degree without me, you know, there. And uh, I, was, I, wasn't a, I wasn't a planner, and I was planning on being a musician, but let's go to school, you know. And so I went to school. And... Um, my dad gave me a little pep talk, you know, that you do before the kids go to school. Gave me a two, three hundred dollars. He said, be careful with your money. You know, it's going to need to last you for a semester. And uh, so I went. 
and it lasted about three weeks. You know, I mean, we lived high. We would eat out in Dallas, you know, and buy new clothes and all this kind of thing. And I remember when the money ran out. In fact, I remember it very, very clearly because I was very hungry, very hungry. Remember the night I had this little Honda, and I'm tearing the Honda apart looking for change. Uh, a hamburger at McDonald's costs 30 cents, and if I could just get 35, I could get the McDonald's, the, the burger plus tax, and I'd have a little something to eat, you know, and it's just like, oh, man. And while I'm doing this, I'm thinking, you know, if I was at home, mom would be feeding me. Mom always had some. She cooked, you know, she's one of the old school. Remember that? Remember when, when we cooked? Yeah. And she was old school like that. And there was always something in the refrigerator, and I thought, I wouldn't have to be like this. And so I was so discouraged. And I called my dad, and I said, Dad, i gotta, got to come home. And he said, no, you're at school. You're staying. You're not coming home. I said, well, I'm out of money. He said, well, there's a solution to that. I said, are you going to send me some? He said, no, get a job. And so, <laughs> and so I had, and he didn't. And so I had to get a part-time job at Jack in the Box. Anybody remember a Jack in the Box? Okay. And so I haven't worked hardly anywhere in my life. I'm a musician. They don't work, okay? And so I have no idea how the real life, real world works. And I remember one of my first nights, it was in the first week that I was at Jack in the Box. What you had to do every night is they cooked uh, fries in a big grease thing, you know, one of the oil or whatever. And at the end of the night, about 11, 11.30, 12, um, they... That's back when they didn't stay open all night, you know, and so you had to, somebody had to dump it out, and what you did was, the manager called me, he said, you're the new guy, you're going to do the grease thing, and I said, well, how do you do that? And he said, well, you take it, be very careful, it's very hot, you, you get an uh, empty barrel in the back, uh, back here, and you pour it into the barrel, you carry the barrel out to where the trash cans are, and then there's this hole, there's this pipe in the ground where you pour it in there, and somebody comes and takes it away. I said, Okay. So I went in the back to get a barrel, and, and that's where it kind of went south for me, uh, is, is that the only barrel I could find was a pickle barrel, you know, that we'd, we'd, we had, they came in barrels. And so I got the pickle barrel, and uh, it was empty, and I took the grease, and I began to pour it in the pickle barrel, and it's at that point I realized a physics le- lesson that you don't pour hot grease into a plastic barrel <laughs> because the barrel began to grow. Okay, it began to grow. I don't know what to do. What do you do? You know, you just sit there and watch it grow, and then all of a sudden, boom, it disintegrates, and there's all this hot grease all over the floor. And so the next thing I know, it's 4 o'clock in the morning. Everybody but me and the manager are gone, and I'm on my knees, and it's grout, and I'm trying to scrub this stuff out of the grout. And I kept doing that for several hours. And in that moment, I thought, if I was home, I wouldn't be doing this. It gets worse. So a couple weeks later, I start to feel a little ill. And I, my throat's a little bit sore. Then it gets sore and sore. My temperature goes up to about 104. And I find out that I've got strep throat. Now, for normal people, strep throat isn't that big of a deal. For me, uh, about three years before that, I'd had strep throat. And it settled into my kidneys and nearly killed me. The doctor said, you know, you got to be real careful of this. And so I'm, I'm laying on a bed in a dingy dorm room, and I'm on the top kind of bunk, and I'm sweating, and I feel absolutely horrible. And I thought, I want to go home. 
It can't get any worse than this. I want to go home. How many of you have ever had a gut-wrenching, homesick experience? You know, it may, it may be a college experience, because that's not unusual that you go away to college, you think it's going to be one thing, and, and ultimately it, it's okay, but at first, boy, you just want to quit, especially if you go somewhere that demands a lot of you. You know, is, are there any Citadel cadets that would say amen to that? And you remember those days. Or it could be, you know, it, it, it could be when uh, after the, the breakup or after the divorce, you feel all alone and, and you want to go home and you don't even know what home is or where it is. Or, or it could be today. And there's a circumstance in your life or it could be because of a choice that you made that's left you feeling all alone. And uh, you're in the right place today. You really are. Because we're going to study a story uh, from the Bible of a, it's actually a parable. It's the story that Jesus told about a guy that left home. He squandered all of his fortune and then he got a serious case of homesickness. The story's found in Luke chapter 15. And if you have an outline sheet, uh, you can take a look at that. Actually, there are three stories there. Jesus uh, t- talks about lost things, a lost coin, lost sheep, and a lost son. And we're just going to look at the last one uh, for the next three weeks in this series. And uh, today we're going to talk about the lost son. Next week, just to give you a little peek ahead, uh, we're going to talk about... Um, we're going to talk about what do you do when there's a prodigal in your house? Because this story is often known as the prodigal son, and it's one of the most familiar stories in the New Testament. What do you do when, when there's a prodigal in your house? And I think it'll be really encouraging to you. And then the third week, we're going to take a look at uh, this story through the lens of the older brother and uh, what to do uh, uh, when you're mad about a party, okay? And uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. But today, I want to talk about this guy that's homesick, and he's lost, Jesus begins telling the story in, in verse 1, and I'll, I'll take a look at that because it sets kind of the stage for it. He says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So this isn't the kind of people you invite to church. The church is supposed to look like a country club. Jesus says, no, it's more like Walmart, if you want to know the truth. Everybody's supposed to come. And then Jesus told them a story. Look at the two groups. You've got notorious sinners, it says. I like that. Notorious sinners and tax collectors. And this is a group, and you've got them all in one room. If you can imagine, it's a small room. Let's say it's like this middle section right here. And... um, uh, up in the front rows are these tax collectors and sinners and all these folks, and they're kind of leaned into Jesus because nobody accepts them in a religious context anywhere. I mean, they've tried the synagogues, churches around, and nobody wants them. And, and yet, here's Jesus, this incredible teacher who's drawing these huge crowds, and he speaks directly to them, and he speaks good news. And they're leaning in. And along the back rows, kind of leaning against the wall and their arms kind of folded like this, are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and they're not leaning in, they're leaning back because they're upset. It's an interesting picture because if you wonder where you find Jesus these days, I think you'll always find him in the gap between the outsiders and the insiders. 
making the outsiders comfortable and the insiders uncomfortable. That's kind of my job description as a pastor. I'm here to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And that's kind of where Jesus was. Okay, But here's an here's interesting truth. He loved them both. He loved them both. Now, the religious people ticked him off from time to time, and he would, you know, he'd, he'd say things to them. But he loved them. And it's like, how can I reach both groups? How can I tell them the truth? How can, and here's what this whole story is about, how can they get to know my father and what my father is like, like I know? And so he tells a story. See, naked truth oftentimes is hard to take. Would you agree with that? Somebody just say, you know, I tell the truth, I tell the truth regardless of what. And you go, tell it to somebody else if you would because you're hurting me with this a little bit. But when you put truth within a story, we can all take that. And that's what Jesus does. He puts this truth within a story and he, and, and he, and he tells three of them actually about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And I want to read just part of the one about the lost son. You can kind of follow along and then I'll make some comments on it. He said, a man had two sons and the younger uh, son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings, moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. He began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs with looked good to him. But nobody would give him anything. And when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him coming, and he, filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. That's as far as I'll go today with that. What I want to do is I want to I kind of look at three pictures of this story, and let's see what we can learn from each one of them. In fact, um, I asked an artist in our church if she would kind of uh, paint her feelings or her inspiration from the story, and I, I want to use her, her pictures. And the first one is this one, and, and, and it's a picture of the son taking the inheritance from the father. Something I really like about her interpretation of this, you can see the father handing the money, and the son, you can't even see his face. It's almost like he's ashamed. He's, he's asked for it, and he's walking away. He takes the inheritance. I thought about my own father. I love, who's probably watching this today. Hi, Dad. Um, and I thought, I thought, what would have happened if I would have gone to my dad and said, Dad, love you, man, but you're taking a little long to die. <laughs> That's what this kid says. I know you're not dead yet. I know my inheritance is supposed to come when you die. Dad, can I get the money and run? Now, if that was my dad, um, that'd probably be the last picture. 
In fact, the next verse of the story would have said, and his mother wept greatly and mourned at his funeral. Because that's just kind of how dad was. But for this kid, it went a little, a little, it went a little better or worse, you know, whichever you want to look at it. His dad gave him the money. You know, there's a study that shows that the farther away from the wealth that a person is, that the less they value the money. And this, this guy's dad or his grandparent, someone had worked very hard because they were very wealthy. But he didn't see that. It's just money to him. And so, and so he, he asks for the money and he, he takes it and he squanders it. Here's the question. Why do prodigals run? Why do they run? And often it's because we're tired of waiting for what the pro- father has promised us. But here, here's the problem. Is that there is kind of a, a predictable uh, There's predictable steps away from the father. And and the father in this situation is is a picture of God. The younger brother is a picture of the notorious sinners. And the older brother is a picture of the Pharisees and the religious teachers of the law. And so when he runs away from the father, it's a picture of us running away from God. Why do prodigals run? Why do they run? I think there's kind of a predictable pattern to it steps away from God first you get restless you get restless the kid's restless he's like I'm tired of the same old same old you know, I'm tired of being the younger brother and the older brother always gets deferred to and even in the inheritance he's getting two-thirds I'm getting one-third and there's two of us the least I can do is take my money I want some action I'm bored I mean the worst thing you can be is bored ask any teenager I'm bored I'm bored. How, how many of you have ever done something really dumb when you were bored? Anybody hear any testimonies? I'm bored. Restless. Restless. Now, now, to be fair, God sometimes uses restlessness. I know in my own life, and as God has led me into you know, steps with him, at times I was so attached to what I had that there became a restlessness that I, I think that was sent by God. But that's very seldom, to be honest with you. And oftentimes, uh, we'll just jump on it. It We'll default to whatever our wild hair is. And and if we're a Christian, we'll blame it on God. God's leading me. No, he's not. You're just restless. You know, uh, in Proverbs 19.3, it says, Some people ruin themselves by their own stupid actions, and then they blame the Lord. Do you have any testimonies on that? (laughs) Know anybody that does that? You know, restless. We get restless. We get restless in our marriage. Um, they used to call it the seven-year itch. Have you heard of that? You know, that after seven years, you know, whatever. Now it's the three-year tickle, you know. But it's like, <laughs> I'm married. I know I made a commitment. But, oh, man, I feel trapped. I just feel, I feel like I'm missing something. We married too young. I you know, I didn't get to experience what I wanted to experience. Or, man, there's somebody. It, we get restless. We get restless. We start getting restless. It's like the red light coming on in the dashboard of your soul. It's kind of like dashboard of your car. Red light comes on. You ignore it. You're in trouble. When restlessness comes, you need to look at it. You need to go, is this God? It's probably not. Might be. How do I discern if it's God? Is it true to his word? I need to resist this restlessness because if I don't, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to get reckless. That's kind of the next step, restless, reckless. 
I start doing things, taking risks that I wouldn't normally take before. Proverbs 14, 16 says, The wise are cautious and avoid danger. Fools plunge ahead with reckless confidence. That's what happened to this kid. He gets the money. He says, I'm tired of the rules. Man, the rules don't apply to me anymore. I've got new rules. And so he goes and, and uh, he, he buys a new car and he gets some new clothes. He's got Freebird blaring on the radio. You know, he's, if he's older, he does. It's, you know, <laughs> hey, Almond Brothers never go away. Or, that's not Almond Brothers, but whatever. <sighs> They're good too. Uh, anyway, he's hitting the trendy clubs, you know. He's got new friends because money will do that. He's trying new things. Is that ever you? Is that ever you? You ever walked away from rules? Walked away, and I'm not talking about legalism. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But, but you look, you, the, the Father, the Father God has, has rules. There are limits that are good for us, okay? And we look at it and we go, oh, man, is that old-fashioned. Oh, I don't want to do that. And I walk away from, I walk away from what the Father knows is best for me and I follow my own rules. I get reckless. I do things that I wouldn't have done before. Maybe it's when you went away to college or maybe it's when you got the new job and you tra- started traveling more and there was less accountability and you thought, what will it hurt? Well, I'll, I'll go to the club. I'll, nobody will see me. I'll, I'll, you know, whatever. Or maybe it was just after the divorce. You found yourself doing things you never thought that you would. Reckless. You know what? Here's a disclaimer. Sin is fun. Breaking the rules that the Father has set is fun. If it wasn't, we wouldn't do it. But the Bible says it's for a season. It's for a season. And then, and then it gets really bad. Because we're, we're restless and we get reckless. And, and then we find ourselves ruined. Ruined. The money ran out. The friends disappear. He ends up in a pig pen. In a pig pen. As, as Jesus is telling the story, I mean, we, we hear the story, he's in a pig pen, okay, that's not a good place to be. No, when Jesus tells the story, there's a gasp in the audience. This is a Jewish kid in a pig pen. That's the worst it could be. That would be like your son working in a pet store taking care of cats. Okay, that's... <laughs> time out. I... I was, I was going to do a Georgia joke there, but I thought I haven't poked the cat lovers in a long time. So they, we just, we, remember afflicting the comfortable. All right, there we go. But this, this thing, it sets off, man. That You don't get any worse. A pig pen, and he's hungry. He starts out in search of freedom. And now he's a slave to his own desires. Galatians 6, 7 says, be careful. Don't mock God. Whatever you sow, you will reap. If you sow seeds of sin and disobedience, and it may feel good for a season, don't be mocked. You sow those kind of seeds, you're going to reap a bumper crop at some point of pain and of suffering. And he's there. But here's the good news. You don't have to stay there. The, The story doesn't end there. You can come back home. There's no place like home. So we go to the second picture. And the second picture is just the picture of the kid in a pig pen. Because this is where he experiences God. This is where he 
This is where he comes to his, his senses. He recognizes where he is. And that's kind of the start on the way back home, is you just recognize where you are. He comes to his senses. What am I doing here? What am I doing here? He says at home, even the servants, the hired servants, have food enough to spare. And here I am, I'm dying of hunger. The light goes on. He begins to change. He's at a point of total desperation. That's where God meets people. We call it a significant emotional event. You know, everybody talks about change, but very few people change until they see change, until they have a significant emotional event. You know what that is. That's when you see your picture on Facebook. Somebody uh, tagged you. And you look at it, you go, that's not me. That can't be me. I know I put on a few pounds, but that's not me. I know that's not me. Then you go to button your shirt and you can't quite get it buttoned, so you start wearing them open with t-shirts underneath and you go, I can't be me. What are they thinking? Deb, let's get back on the diet. Let's do the 21-day fast. Start riding our bicycle. That's a significant emotional event. Or maybe it's the DUI. It's the DUI. I can't believe that. I mean, I hadn't drank that much. Well, no, you've been drinking regularly a little bit too much. A significant emotional event. Or it could be a conversation where she sits down and, and she says, you know, I love you, but if things don't change, I'm gone. I just can't stay here. And, you, and, and it might come as a surprise to you. She's been saying it, or he's been saying it. And suddenly, it's a, it's a significant emotional event. Hey, something's got to change. Okay? Or maybe you get caught. Maybe it's get caught cheating, or maybe it's stealing, or maybe it's whatever it happens to be. You get caught, and now what am, what am I going to do? Here's the good news. You quit denying the problem at that point. You know, denial is a river in Egypt. And uh, you, you figure that out, and it's like, no, no, it's me. It's me. Here's the good news. God God met this guy here. God is in the significant emotional events. He doesn't leave you there. He's there. He's waiting for you. And that may just be what brought you here today. You may be at a, at a moment of, of uh, you know, a total desperation, a significant emotional event. You're in a good place. God wants to meet you here. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you're just kind of on, uh, on this restless, maybe a little restless. Maybe it's a little reckless, living a little reckless. I'm not really a committed believer yet. I, I do want to go to heaven. That would be nice. But things aren't really that bad. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in a pig pen. So let me ask you, what's it going to take for you? Does it take a pig pen? Does it take, is that how you got it? Did this guy have to get to a pig pen in order to change? I don't think so. I don't think so. God loves you too much. God loves you, but he loves you too much to let you stay where you are. So he'll allow pig pens in your life, those moments of total desperation, so that you'll see and want change because he's got a great plan for you. But you don't have to go there. Don't wait for that point. 
Let this story kind of be your stupid text. Learn from somebody else. Come to your senses. Come to the Father's house. What's in the Father's house? Everything you need. Provision and security. Unconditional love. Everything you truly desire is in the Father's house. And so the kid recognizes it. And he repents. He repents. Now what is repentance? He says, I have sinned against you in heaven. He confesses his sin. Every week at Seacoast, we've got crosses in every campus, wherever you happen to be. And uh, most weekends, we use those crosses as a means of repentance. Come to Jesus. Repent. What does confession mean? What, is it, what does it mean to repent? Confession just simply means I'm agreeing with God that my behavior is sin. It's not just a problem. It's not just kind of, well, that's kind of how I'm wired up. No, it's sin. It's self-destructive behavior. And it's repentance is going, okay, I got it. I agree with God. But that's not the end. He returns. He doesn't just repent. He returns. That's getting up, turning around. True repentance doesn't stay in the pig pen. It's not just admitting that you're there. It's a willingness to leave. It means not only changing your mind about your behavior, it's being willing to to change your behavior. What's cool about Christianity and something we're going to do today is baptism. Baptism is a sign of repentance. And today at all of our campuses, we're going to have baptism services. Some of them are going to be, you know, right during the service. Here at Long Point, uh, we're going to go to the beach this afternoon. And uh, at, at, I think, 4 o'clock, uh, Isla Palms Beach. I shouldn't give the announcements because I don't remember exactly what they are. I just work here. But I know we're doing that. I know we're doing that. And baptism is an opportunity to go, you know, I recognized where I was, I repented, and I'm returning, and uh, we're going to give it a clean start. And I love that about this story is that you can get a clean start. God does that. And And here's my favorite picture. Here's my favorite picture. Call this the father running. This is the father running. It's the father running to meet this kid. The kid, uh, if we were to show the kid in this picture, and he's off over here somewhere, he doesn't look like he did when he started. The beginning of the story, he's got new clothes on, he's got swagger, he's got attitude, he's, he's buying some bling, you know, he's, he's got the world by the tail, it's good. But if you were to see him now, he's over here on this edge of the picture, and, and he's thin, he's weak, he's hungry. His clothes smell, that that are left. It's just a whole there. He's, he's humbled. He's dirty. And he's rehearsing his speech. Father, have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? <laughs> I'm going to rehearse this thing. I've got to get this right. i got one shot at this. Father, uh, I've sinned against you. No, that's not enough. Father, I have sinned against you. You know, and he's rehearsing this speech and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. The Bible says while he was a long way off, his father saw him. And filled with love and compassion, he ran. He ran. There are a lot of people that don't call this story the prodigal son. They call it the father who ran. Because that's really the focus of the story. It's the father who ran. What's so different? I mean, wouldn't you run? I mean, a kid's been away for months or years or whatever. Let me talk to you about the significance of the father who ran. Yes, he ran because he loved his son and he embraced him. Next week we're going to talk about as fathers and mothers or friends, what do you do when there's a prodigal? You know, do you run right away? How soon do you run? All, All that kind of thing. 
But, but this is interesting because in this culture, a father would not run. Okay? It's just, they wouldn't do that. It's just something you wouldn't do. Why not? Well, he's, he's an older guy. And with age, there comes a sense of dignity and respect. And if he's going to run, they wear these long dress-like things, you know, kind of like kilts in Scotland, only they're real long. And you can't run in these deals. And so if, if somebody's going to run, what they do is they take the, the end of it and they pull it up and they pull it through like this belt that's here. And what they do is they show some leg. Do you see that? We've got some, some leg. And now for you guys, that's nothing. But that's Hebrew porn right there is what that is. Okay? It's Hebrew porn. Because in their society, they would never do that. Old man doesn't run. Old man doesn't run. Even today it seems funny when old people run. Think about that. Think about that. There's an old guy running. I was in the airport the other day, and I'm young. And I was running. Mothers were holding their children. There's a man running. He shouldn't be running like that. His shirt's open. He's got a T-shirt on. It's not natural for old people to run. And in this culture, it was just wrong. It was just wrong. So why is he running? Why is he running? That's what's interesting. In the Jewish culture of the time, if a Jewish son in that culture lost his inheritance among the Gentiles, which is what this kid did, apparently the farmer he went to work for, he, he went to a Gentile city, lost his money. The farmer he worked for is obviously a Gentile because he's herding pigs. He, a Jewish guy wouldn't have that. If that would have happened, lost his inheritance among the Gentiles and he returns home, the community would re, uh, perform a ceremony called kazaza. Can you say kazaza together? Here's what would happen. is If the kid came back to the village, what they do, they'd take a clay pot like this, and they would throw it down. Can I do this, Chris, right here? Just throw it down. Throw it down. And they would break it in front of them. And when they, when they do that, the leader of the city or the community would, would say, um, you're gone. You're gone. You're now cut off from your people. You're a disgrace to us, you're ashamed to us, and you have to go out and live on his own. And so in this picture that Jesus kind of tells, they know this. They know what happens. And Jesus says, the father ran. Fathers don't run. Why did the father run? Because he got out ahead of the city. The city, maybe the village is running behind him possibly, or they said that the guy whose son left, he squandered it all, he's coming back. The father runs and he embraces him. And when he does, as a man of honor, the village knows there's no kazaza today. The father is taking the shame, the shame of exposing himself in a way that he shouldn't do. He took the shame for the son, and it's so obvious, the correlations. Some of us are running from God right now. We've chosen our own path, and it may have led to a significant emotional experience, the consequences of your choices, and I want to say something about your father. Your father is running toward you. He's taken our shame through his son, Jesus Christ, who willingly died on the cross on our behalf. We can be forgiven. We can be restored. We can be accepted. We don't have to fear going home to the father. 
even if we've sinned multiple times. Jesus said, the disciples came to Jesus, they said, how often do we forgive? He said, at least seven times 70. So you're getting started at 490. Have you asked God for forgiveness 490 times? God loves you. He's forgiven you. And he wants to take your shame and lift the burdens of past shame, mistakes, wipe the slate clean, give you a brand new start. In fact, if you want to know what this story is about, Jesus is the third brother in the story. And he's saying, I want you guys to know what the Father is really like. If you knew the Father like I knew the Father, you'd be running home because the Father loves you so much. Let's pray. Father, I love you. And I worship you. We are so grateful for your story, which intersects with our story, to make a great story. And God, I pray that in the next few moments that we would just open our hearts to you and that you would speak to us in ways that only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.